Welcome to the Stories We Don't Tell. I'm Stephen. And I'm Paul. And this is a podcast about storytelling. I'm nodding off. Shifting uncomfortably in this reclining chair that I've commandeered for the night. I think I hear something. I strain to see if I can hear it again. Nothing. The faint whirring of the oxygen tank fills the void. I sink back to reshape, trying to reshape my sweatshirt into a pillow. In these moments, I'm both asleep and awake. Time speeds forward and then stands still. Eternity stretching out before me. And yet there's no place I'd rather be. That sound again. Faint, but there. I push myself up and stumble a few steps forward. Ice. I hear the faint call. I'm here, I say, uh, and I scoop up uh, the piece uh, of uh, out of I scoop a piece of ice out of the styrofoam cup um, and tilt it towards her. She consumes it, smiles, winces, closes her eyes once more, and I go back to my seat. The thing that nobody understands uh, is that when you grow up evangelical. Uh, one question never goes away. What if they're right? What if I'm going to hell? As my mom finishes, the, she rests her elbows on the now empty dining room table and looks back at me. I lean back on my chair until I feel it tap the wall behind me and I, I, I stammer. Because you see, little in life prepares you for this. Uh, but I feel like if there's one thing I'm pretty certain about, it's that my mom is not going to hell. But she's hit on something here. Something that I've struggled with since I was 13 and next in line to be baptized. Standing in front of my congregation, I admit that I first wanted to do this to avoid hell, uh, and then I wanted to do it to get into heaven. Uh, and, but now I say I'm here for the right reasons. My mom sits on the balcony uh, with the rest of my family looking down, and it's one of four times I can remember her in a church. As my body crashes through the water, I wonder if she can see through me. See me for the fraud that I feel like. See me like she must have seen herself for so many years. Because you see, I mean, how could heaven be perfect? How, does how on earth does eternity not become Sisyphusian? Uh, boulder or no boulder, endlessness is as terrifying as, and as unknowable as the end. A light flicks on. Uh, I just need to check the vitals. The nurse speaks in a soft tone as if to make up for the shock of the fluorescent light. I realize that my chair has now, for some reason, slid once again into the middle of the room, uh, and so I wheel myself back slightly uh, and glance at the clock. My blurry vision makes it hard to see and hard to read, and so I tell myself it must be the 2 a.m. rounds, but 
I really can't be sure. I'm unsure if I've actually slept. The book I was reading about the hallway light now sort of sits closed on my lap. My eyes are still closed. I listen to their exchange, though my mom can barely speak, just in case uh, I need to reiterate some of the news back to my family. The nurse makes quick work uh, and sweeps out of the door, leaving us back into the perpetual dusk of the hospital. From the bed, I hear a faint voice calling my name, and I push myself up and walk to her bed, take a piece of ice from the styrofoam cup, and tilt it towards her. Now, I have a somewhat potentially controversial opinion, which is that Dollarama is never the place you want to receive monumental news. <laughs> I and a colleague are on our way back from grabbing burritos and are stopping at his behest to, uh, to grab some of these makeshift packs of Magic the Gathering cards uh, that they sell. And see, the reason for my Dollarama skepticism uh, is that when the phone rings and it's your stepdad, Ray, uh, calling from the hospital, there's nothing in those rows upon rows of poorly made knickknacks that will make it easier to answer that phone, even if you're willing to pay the ungodly price of $3.50, which I checked is the most money they charge you at Dollarama now. <laughs> and yet still, you have to answer the phone. My colleague floats the aisles looking for magic, and I look for my own. It's not a kidney infection, so they think it's a type of cancer, blood cancer. The, news is that it, the good news is that it should be treatable, but they'll know more when some tests come back. A lump in my throat develops and never really goes away. I get back to work. I find an empty room, and I break down and fall apart. Ice. I'm stirred once more. My body is trying to learn the light sleeping of a caregiver, uh, which so far appears to be no sleep at all. Uh, as I reach for the spoon, my mom stirs, finding herself tangled in the tubes connected to her arms and nose. How long has it been? She asks in a thin, raspy voice because of the oxen tubes up her nose. About five minutes. Oh, really? I thought it was an hour. I was trying to let you sleep. It's okay. I try to convey the smile in my voice as I know she can't see me. It's, it's what I'm here for. My house to her hospital bed right out of the building, right onto Dundas, left onto University, left into Mount Sinai, right into the elevator room, left into the actual elevator, floor 14, right out of the elevator, left onto the main hallway, left down the hallway to the second door on the, on the left, bed to our right. The sprouts of new green uh, are pushing their way into the beds along University. Uh, my mom is scared that she'll be sick until it's winter again. My house to her hospital bed. 
uh, right out of the building, right onto Dundas, left onto University, left into Mount Sinai, right into the elevator bay, left into the elevator, floor 12, right out of the elevator, left into the main hallway, right, onto, right to the very last room, bed on the left. The air conditioning is a stark contrast to the, to the 32 degrees uh, outside, but none of the hospital windows actually let you see any of the greenery. Uh, and so our walks end with us watching cars from above making a left turn onto college. My house to her hospital bed. Right out of the building, right onto Dundas, left onto University, left into Mount Sinai Hospital, right into the elevator bay, floor 11, left onto the left, well, sorry, right in, uh, right from the elevator, left into the main space, left to the end of the hall, bed on your right. Thanks for doing this. Uh, if someone comes uh, for the other bed overnight, uh, then you'll have to move to the other room, but it's late and so it probably won't happen. She needs to stay hydrated but can't drink any water, uh, so she's using ice pellets. As he speaks, Ray gestures to the beige bedside table. I'll be back in the morning. Ray grabs coat, says a tender goodbye to my mom, and then leaves with a hand on my shoulder. A second later, he comes back and to grab the toque that I'd got him for Christmas just three days before. This works great, by the way. Oh, awesome! We share a brief smile, and then he's gone again. My mom lies, semi-conscious, covered in a quilt my sister made, a staple of all of these visits. Hi, sweetie. The, warm in, the warmth in her voice curls its way around the sanitized room and envelops me. You can sleep in that chair. She can't move, and so I follow her eyes to a large reclining chair that I recognize as the same one that was used by the elderly Portuguese husband who stayed over every night with his wife uh, during our first stay now nine months ago. Thanks. I hear the sound of running water and realize that the tap is running in the patient's bathroom. I try to turn it off, but nothing changes, broken in some way, and so the perpetual dribble adds to the hospital orchestra. I pull up my book, ball up my sweater, turn off the lights. Timelessness washes over us. I speak into the darkness. I'm here if you need anything. Ice comes the response. I push myself up. Ice. I push myself. Ice. I push, I push, and I push. Thank you. So, uh, who is that? Then that story that we just heard—it was great. That was that was me, Paul. Oh, it was you. Yeah. Oh, wow. Jeez. I know. I sound so young. Ah, yes. Well, you were a whole year younger almost. Almost a, a year, yeah. Yeah, yeah a little yeah. less, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Great. So yeah. so what we're doing is we're taking these stories and, and picking picking a piece about them that we think is interesting or, or expanding on or worth talking about, shall we say. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and this one comes from, there's one part in the story which you just heard 
in which I sort of repeat uh, how I how I would get from my house to my mom's uh, hospital bed. Mm-hmm. And and the thing we're sort of exploring here is how you can use um, a different thing. How you can, how you can use a a small part of a story. Uh, or how you convey a piece of information in a story can also convey a whole bunch of other things. So, for example, uh, in this particular story and the, in the way that I sort of repeat this sort of, you know, make a left turn, make a right turn, make a left turn little bit, A, a bunch of people at the end had come back to me and sort of said that that part really stuck with them. And I think partially that is why is because when the point of that wasn't just the fact that that's how I got there, it was a way to indicate that this was so much a part of my life at that point that I was doing it so many times that I could, I could explain to you how to get there even months later, uh, with my eyes closed, which is what I was telling you. That's how I did it. Well, yeah. And you know, I, I think in, in what I always, um, think is great about these, these kind of stories is that it's important, those kind of details, because they, in a way, uh, when you're experiencing these things, the your world becomes very focused on what's happening, and those details become very important. And so, when you're trying to convey to an audience later on, you know how I think those details they really, um, like we, you know, we're saying about this in in this what we're talking about in this particular episode is just it can sort of be it can have so much more built into it than just what the words that you're saying yeah and i and i think it also it gets to a point where you are conveying you know instead of having to say i did this day after day after day after day you know it allows you to sort of convey that without being so specific right you're able to can you're able to use even the way you're telling something like I could, I could easily have described my walk from my house to my mom's place in a hundred different ways. Right. You know, I could, I could talk about the elevators going down to, from my condo. I could talk about, you know, people I saw on the street or whatever, but I, but I, what I, the purpose of, of the way this telling was to, was it, it was not so much to talk about the walk itself, but to, but to illustrate the fact of how every day this was, right. It was, the, it was, it was to illustrate the, the the fact that this was not just a single moment it was a lifestyle Mm -hmm. yeah 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 and you and it's i think what's important also uh, you know again with this kind of story is it it you know whether uh like the audience you know they've experienced they have experience with this kind of thing so they there there's little again sort of nods in the when you're presenting it to an audience that it it stands in for a whole range of things is that people go, Oh yeah, I remember that. Cause there's a certain routine that you fall into when you're, you know, in these experiences and there, I mean, for me, there's sort of always a way, uh, to, to not, it's a way to kind of move through it. Mm, yeah. I, I find for me of like to hold on to these things of like, okay, there's this other big thing happening and I have no control over this at all, but I can control these sort of details and, um, and, you know, experience, uh, those in that way. So it's an, it's, and it becomes important. Anyways, that's my sort of interpretation of, of what these, this kind of thing is. Yeah. But I think, I think especially when you're talking about these moments that create bubbles around you, right? Like these moments of your life that sort of, you know, 
whether it's a big event or, or you know, in this place, a, a, a health of a family member. But you know, get these moments where, where the reality you live in becomes super bubbly. And, and, and it's, it's not easy. A lot, of, a lot of other people don't see in because so much of your life is wrapped up in this, in this bubble. And, and in those bubbles, there are certain things that become overwhelmingly important. Mm-hmm. And, and so I, it's a way to sort of, and you know, whether or not it's, you know, in this particular scene, again, it's how to get to hospital bed, but I think you could do this exact, the, the same type of thing could be used in, you know, in how, you know, in how you got to a, uh, uh, your job during a, a, a time or, or, or how to create a recipe even. It's like, you know, like any sort of repeated action that, that is, that is a part that comes so much a part of this part of your life. Like this is a moment in my life where that was a lot, mm-hmm. you know, like, like a lot of my life was making this exact trip. And so, and so to, uh, to illustrate that that's how it happened in a way that makes it seem like it's just on the back of your hand, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it becomes second nature. Mm-hmm. And that's what you're illustrating through this way is, is that this is a thing that I did so many times that it is, I can do this in my sleep, mm-hmm. you know? And, and I think that, that, that tells you something about that moment without having to tell someone about that moment. Yeah. And I, I, I also think it's, I, or I wonder if it's, uh, it's a device that is like, if you were telling the story to a friend of yours, w- would you include that stuff? I don't know. You I, know? I, I don't think I could. You, I, I think I might once at the beginning, but I certainly right. certainly not in the way it's used in the story. Right. So it's it's kind of um, also just a, a great kind of storytelling device for an audience, so that they it's like you're you're um, taking them into it or like getting into it. It helps explain what your headspace is and like the the what your role is in a, in a way um, in all of this. Yeah, and, and I think to actually to expand on that point a little bit, I think it does come to this question of, you know, performance, right? Mm-hmm. Like the difference between, say, you know, the quintessential thing that often storytelling events will try to say is like, tell a story like you're at a bar and, and uh, like you're just telling your friend at a bar. And like, that's not what we're doing here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like we, I, I would prefer you not tell me a story like your story at a bar. Some stories work that way. Sure, but it, it's, that's bullshit. I'm not, I don't want to come into an event and see, see that. I mean, again, it depends, right, what like, the event is, but. There are some, you know, there are some stories that are so epic that, 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 can, that can work in that fashion, right? Sure. But I think that when you're talking about other things or, or stories, again, that we don't tell that often, mm-hmm. um, you have to find other ways to bring that level of performance into, into the, or level of experience into it. And so, and so these types of, of repetition or, or other different types of, 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 of uses, um, I think, shows you what you can do when you put more thought into it. When you sort of work out a story, you can actually look back at it and be like, oh, okay, how do I get this feeling in here in this way? Yeah. And, and you're, able to do, you're able to craft it in more of a way, and, and then that allows you to craft the performance rather than to sort of, you know, trying to tell the story like you're at a bar, which would be a completely different story. And, or not a story at all. Like, I don't know what I'd really tell the story. I'd say my mom is sick and I'm sad. Like, yeah, I, I, and you know, just again, in terms of the kind of stories that we're interested in or that what, why we do the event is that I, um, you know, I, there's like the, the two of us sitting in a bar and, and, um, you telling me about these experiences, we'll just talk about that informally, but with this kind of story, which is very important to you, I want to, as an audience, I want to, I want to understand what you were going through, what you're experiencing, what are the things that were important to you in the story. I want you to communicate that to me. And I feel that 
it's the kind of story that if you did just tell it like you were sitting at a bar, something would get lost because it would be almost a general story. It like we wouldn't find the you wouldn't find as many of those details to enhance it. Yeah, I think you'd fall into a, a series of tropes a little bit, you know, right. about, you know, the, the, the stories that are generally, you know, like, oh, yeah, I, you know, that it's hard when your parents are sick. And like, that's a complicated, difficult process for everybody. And 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 I don't know whether or not you could really tell. I, I, I don't know how far deep I, would, I could even go with this story, to be honest, in, in that format. Mm-hmm. And it, the, the, the crafting of it sort of makes the makes the piece. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I kind of feel um, that with these kind of stories, what I when I what, what I like about being able to craft them a little bit more is to me you can get deeper into the story and you can get um deeper into trying to connect the audience to the emotion of it because you can open it up more and it becomes a story it's not just here's a thing that i went through it you you kind of are able to unpack it and kind of point to the audience and say this is this is important to me and that was important to me and this is what i'm trying to tell you that about this thing instead of me just kind of relaying a series of events that kind of happened and I feel that there's the threat of getting lost in the story Hmm. when you're just sort of telling it off the top of your head. You know, I'm not just talking about a beginning, middle and end, uh, although I think that would happen too, is that, but it's just, you might get swept up in the emotion and you might get just, just kind of lost in it a little bit. Yeah, I, th- I think you, you you might get a certain detail that you sort of run with. But, you know, we've been closing out these episodes with uh, with questions about what you would say to someone who came with uh, a story of this nature to the you know sum up your sort of original thoughts you might have about someone who came with a similar type story or idea. Uh, and so I've come to you, Paul. What do you tell me? Well, if this was our workshop and you came to me with the story, I mean, I, I would I'm really just kind of all over this. So I'm going to stick to it is that I think in order to find those kind of details of what we have been talking about, I think you need to explore the story. And I think you need to kind of write out all the angles and the parts to it. And then, you know, to me, you will get past that sort of generalization or the sort of almost, you know, I'd call like here's a synopsis of the story, like of what of the a synopsis of the experience. That's what I don't want to it to be. I would want it to be like, okay, what is it? What's the story beyond that? And, and to me, that's where you would find a lot of these details. So let me ask you, if you came to you mm-hmm. with this kind of story in our workshop, what maybe just what, what did you do yourself in this particular story? I think I, so we've done the show for five years, and so we've heard a, honestly, a series of stories uh, that center the concept of a parent with cancer, mm-hmm. right? That's been a story that, 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 that you have told. Uh, that's a story that we've had um, other storytellers have told. And I think what was important to me was to understand what was different for me or or what my ver- my story was you know because the story was not was did not was not the sort of again i didn't want to tell the generalized story uh not to say that other people had done that but i think i needed to i needed to really question myself about why i was telling the story 
and where I was and in, in, you know, in, in the story and what was personal to me about this rather than sort of, you know, different, uh, like what, what was, what was, what was my version, um, or, or what was me in mm. it? And I think that's sort of a question that, you know, I think people inherently gravitate towards the concept of, you know, of these types of stories being often a story we don't tell because society does not create a lot of space for people to tell stories about their sick parents. Um, but also the, uh, the question of what, like what, what is it for you? Mm-hmm. Um, and so in for that sort of, that's the, that's the question I would, I would ask myself. There and, are and did. all very good questions. Yeah. So that's our show. Thanks for, uh, thanks for stopping by. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Visit storieswedonttell.org and like our Facebook page for more information about our monthly events. And for more stories, check out our book, available anywhere books are sold. This episode of the Stories of Tell podcast is brought to you by The Lansdowne Cone. The Lansdowne Cone is a social enterprise out of Toronto that let us use their space in October, and that was great. I don't know why I keep saying these weird endings.